Hey Randy, how many UX people does it take to build a product? I don't know, Lily. How many UX people does it take to build a product? Randy, I just asked you that question. Oh, Jesus. I thought you were telling me a joke. Oh, (laughs) no, you're the funny one, remember? (laughs) But if you don't know the answer, that's fine, because we're talking to a man who's written a book on the topic. Well, not that specifically. More about how a UX person moves into a product role and the good and the bad sides of making that move. Christian Crumlish is a veteran product and UX person who's written a few books on the topic, and he's currently working with the California government. And Lily, if I'm the funny one, we're in deep trouble. (laughs) That is true. We've always been in deep trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But you should also stick around to the end of the conversation where we also unveil how many hours it really takes a product manager to do their job. No spoilers. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Christian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. So we uh, met each other virtually, I think it was. We were both doing a talk in Australia where neither of us got to go to Australia, unfortunately. Um, But you mentioned at that point that you're working on this book. Tell us a tiny bit, well, before we get into the book, just give us a little bit of introduction. This isn't your first book. So who are you and how did you get into product stuff, related stuff in the first place? Sure. And I'll I'll tell the short version of it (laughs) because... I could fill the whole podcast with more <laughs> details about my peripatetic career. My name is Christian Crumlish. I'm a, I'm a product person uh, with a UX root, let's say, foundation. My, my pillar of product is UX, my, my home base. Um, and my UX roots go back to before UX was the agreed upon primary term for doing that kind of stuff. So I've had all kinds of titles um, as content strategist at a startup in 2000, in the year 2000, for instance, um, and an information architect after that and all kinds of other things. I was one of the, I was the last curator of the Yahoo design pattern library. And over time, actually, when I was in UX design leadership, I started to rub shoulders with product managers more and see the, the product role as more interesting. And, um, I had mentors and bosses who helped me make the career transition um, and in the course of that, I kept talking to my UX friends and my regular conferences and my community of practices about, hey, product isn't actually, you know, yes, we're 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 bean counters in suits, but look, I'm I'm a UX person and I'm over here doing it, and it's a, uh, it's actually kind of cool, and actually, but it's also different. Um, and one thing that struck me as a person who had been an information architect was that the information architecture toolkit is really useful for product managers in terms of being able to map out and visualize complex systems and put context around things and um, synthesize, you know, there's a whole bunch of skills that are, that, that good IAs tend to have that, that mm-hmm. a lot of even good product managers don't always have. And 
if they can partner with somebody or get good at those things, that's useful. And if they come in the door with those skills, that's that's helpful. But um, there's a lot more to product management than just being great at UX. And there's a lot of other things involved as well. So what I found was that people started asking me about the career move or what it was like or whether they should do it themselves or they're maybe being forced into a product role or activities and they weren't sure how they felt about it. But I had a series of impromptu and coaching and mentoring type conversations that led me to form a little community for discussing this topic called design in product. And it was mostly about, you know, once you have a conversation with a couple of people, you're like, well, maybe we should let more people in on this. It won't scale if I just individually coach every person having the same set of questions. (laughs) And, uh, but that's created a kind of a clubhouse for me of other people who are quite interested in this overlapping area and the fertile ground there. Um, And that led to the book, Uh, really. I mean, the book was on my mind, but the book came into being with the support of that community with close reading and feedback and suggestions from that group of sort of an inner inner group of super interested people. So the book is called Product Management for UX People uh, with the subtitle of uh, From Designing to Thriving in a Product World. But I'm curious, you know, UX is really interesting work. And when I work with a good UX person, (laughs) they're worth their weight in gold. They make a massive difference. They're amazing partners. And it, you know, they, most of the time they seem pretty happy, you know, they're working on the fun stuff and I'm working on the stuff that's, that's annoying them. So why (laughs) would, why would a UX person ever want to go into product? What do they think they're missing? That's a very interesting question. And I think you're right that um, I caution people who who romanticize product management um, as a kind of super UX job where you get to do UX a lot and also be in charge of making the decisions. That's sort of the naive idea of what product management is from a UX person's perspective. The person in the room who seems to care about UX, but also seems to have more authority for some reason. And, 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 uh, um, and of course there's someone, it's not exactly that in a lot of ways. So for some people, it does come from that desire to be in the decision-making role for some UX people, they're already pretty far to the strategic uh, stakeholder managing, um, having the important workshop to get the prioritization sorted. Like some people are de facto doing a lot of product-like stuff and not a lot of pixel pushing in their in their UX careers, and product management feels a lot more adjacent to them to some of them. Another thing is that it's a it's a variant on a common dilemma for designers in general. Uh, which is, do I have to become a manager to get ahead in my career? Um, the, officially, the answer in the tech world nowadays is no. We, we we have an individual contributor track, and it goes up to principal or esteemed or whatever. You could you make up a new one when you need to. Um, and that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, you know, I do caution people that you can do that, but you, you can avoid becoming a people manager, but you can't you can't keep getting ahead further and further without being a leader of some kind, without giving back to the organization at a leadership level, they, they don't need that high level an individual contributor if they're not really delivering leverage, uh, you know, at, at scale after a while. Um, but having said that, some people do say, well, maybe I should become a design manager. And some people learn, like I did, that design management can still be a creative job. Um, the fear that, well, I won't be drawing the screens anymore means I'm not creating anymore is the you know, some people compared it to like becoming the or, the conductor of the orchestra or the choreographer. Maybe you're not out there dancing anymore and you miss the spotlight a little bit, but you're still doing a very creative job. It just involves deploying groups of people to do a collaborative thing that's amazing. And it's one of those types of roles. So it does appeal to some types. Do you think in terms of um, that move from UX into product that there's probably some people who 
are kind of more likely to be pulled in that direction because of the the environment that they're in you know there there may be a kind of lack of product management skills within that team and so they're then kind of forced to fill that role and is there a time at which I think these are two very different questions actually but is there a time at which like it's a good time to explore the the product role like if you're interested in it as a UX person is there you know is there a time to go no I'm not ready for this yet and and a time to go yes I'm gonna do this now I know that I think those are related questions um thinking about conversations I've had with people and in variations on those situations, the, the uh, it is quite common for people to end up doing what we think of as product management work in, in a void because they're, they're in a, uh, on a team that has somehow intuited or learned some product management product mindset notions, but hasn't actually staffed a product manager. So there's just a sort of an unspoken expectation that there's going to be some agile or build measure learn, or someone's going to track a metric or it could be all kinds of, you know, it's from a grab bag of things. And the UX, certain UX people are already maybe doing some of that tying together, filling in good UX has to be very context aware. So there's a natural desire to be a little bit nosy about the rest of what's going on. And can the engineers really build this? Is the business really going to let me do this? So I think some people are adjacent and they do get sucked into it. So engineers do too. Other roles can end up doing producty stuff and, and they can be ambivalent about it. So I've met people in, in my course of thinking about these topics and presenting and talking about it. Uh, I have friends who've said they realized they were being turned into a product person and more of a business person than they wanted to be. And they, they, it wasn't intentional and their intent in their career was to be a, a designer or to do more UX research or to do something more specifically still rooted in the UX side of the table. Um, and just being aware that you're near the edge of the vortex is, is, is important, whether you want to go in or not. Now, now, are there times when it makes sense to explore that? Well, first of all, if you're giving, if you're being asked to do something to fill a void like that, it's, it's good to hang a lampshade on it and make people aware it's going on. And maybe if you're interested, say, I'm willing to do this for a while. Just remember, I'm not, I'm new to this part of it, but I, I'm interested and I'm willing to do it for a while. And then you can tentatively as a person in your own career, try it out and see if you're good at it. And if you like it, um, not everybody has that opportunity. So, so, I mean, the most, when people know they want to change careers, for instance, it's almost a commonplace to, to let people know that the easiest way to do that is at a job that is willing to let you change your title, as opposed to having the old title at one job and then a new company taking the first chance of giving you the new title a mentor or a boss who knows your ambitions, who lets you try something out. And then based on your both assessing whether it's good, maybe supports you shifting teams is, is probably the easiest way to make the transition, not to say it's the only way. Um, and so part of that is that idea of saying, yeah, I'll dabble in this for a while. As long as you put boundaries around it, if you don't necessarily want to be forced to do it, if you're like, okay, I tried that, but we all agreed that I, I wasn't so great at that, or I didn't love that. And, um, for me personally, again, I had mentors and bosses who were very supportive, including somebody who, when I came back from like a six-week assignment helping to product manage a, a launch um, for a property that, that AOL owned when I was at AOL, my boss sort of said to me, you, you're lit up. Like, like, I've never seen you so into your work. Like, whatever you were just doing, that's what you love doing. And to have somebody who can reflect, have people who can reflect that back or recognize that for you can be you know, that that's a, a, an opportunity to take advantage of, I think, to, you know, to, to listen to that. Mm. Okay. So 
you touched on some of the things that might be challenges and uh you know we're product people we we always focus on the negatives that we have to overcome <laughs> before we do that let's let's do some of the positive stuff so uh for a ux person moving into a product role what are the superpowers that that they walk in with what are the things that they're over indexed on that they're uh you know going to find really useful in a role that maybe other people might not be uh so so skilled at I think a lot of them are these things that have been packaged up often um, around the ideas of, of uh, design thinking and stuff like that. So the ability to help visualize things, you know, to literally to use the drawing skills for, you know, that some subset of UX people have um, or diagramming skills, you know, to be that person who can get up in a meeting that is kind of going in circles and say, Hey, does anybody mind if I grab a marker and start drawing a picture of what I think people are saying. Cause then they go, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know, you don't have to get it right, but just like to be the person who can, who can uh, catalyze that, you know, turn in, in a meeting, I think is something that certain UX people have, have, have the ability to do that sketching and visualizing and visual communication skill. Um, a lot of the high level, you know, the, the, when you're good at UX, you're, you're, you're synthesizing research and you're, you know, coming up with, basically hypotheses, ideas about solutions to problems, which you might use a different terminology than a product manager does, but you're bringing to the table a whole toolkit for uh, trying out reasons why this data is, why is that number going down? Well, we see it's going down. Let's not panic. Let's come up with some thoughts about it. And then if so, let's explore some designs or some approaches that might tell us in a quick experiment, whether we're right about our hypothesis and then we can go try to repair the problem. So I think that there are, um, you know, the ability to contextualize problems, uh, literally information architecture, like I said before, I think is almost like a, it is a superpower. If you've got it as a product manager, I, I constantly feel like I need to make a picture or a stack diagram for myself to just map a thing I'm grappling with in my head and I'm going in circles on. And as soon as I make that diagram, everybody goes, I love that diagram. You know, they, they just start to consume it and want to have it. Um, but I brought that to my product role from my, my UX and IA background. So there's a bunch of things like that. I mean, user research is something that product management does in its own way, but not always in a way that's as well informed by what the UX research approach has to say about it. And, and there's a collaborative opportunity there, for instance. And if we think about the the typical product management Venn diagram of user experience or or you know, the voice of the customer versus technical and business, one would assume then that uh, a UX person moving into that product role is going to need more development and, and kind of coaching on the technical and the, the business side of things. So is there anything in particular that you would encourage product people to do uh, moving into that role in order to fill those those gaps in knowledge? Uh, well, I I do agree with the premise of the question, although I, I think that these Venn diagrams that, you know, tend to collapse a lot of stuff in a way. And um, I like to joke that every discipline has a Venn diagram with their <laughs> discipline in the center and everybody else being kind of a peripheral thing. So we should only take it as, you know, we take it, it it's a useful artifact and we all know it, uh, even though some people label those circles in different ways or put more in there. Um but there is that sense that, again, the product manager is certainly orchestrating and, and, and uh, coordinating across all, all, all these different areas and, and has to have facility and confidence in discussing, say, technical limitations or challenges, um, to, not to be too reductive. But, you know, you, you can't let an engineer who just 
differs you with you on taste tell you something's impossible. You have to be able to say, no, it's not impossible. I know you don't want to do it, but I can see it's possible. Look at this example over here or look at this quick prototype mm. I made or something like that. So there's some some need to be, as I say, sort of you know, sophisticated about the, the areas that you don't come in with as part of your grounding. Um, again, I think a person who's good at UX, who's been doing UX in an internet software world for any, any recent amount of time, it's probably got some technical chops. They understand the materials they're working with to some degree. They work with engineers almost certainly. I mean, they might be in a, hopefully they haven't come up in a whole completely dysfunctional environment where they are isolated from the engineers or don't haven't learned any ability to work with them. So I think you come in with some of those skills already. I think it's more that a product manager uh, has to, like I say, sort of herd the cats. You know, the, the product manager has more responsibility that the, the work the engineers do is on point and, and that they have helpful direction, but not micromanagement and that they're empowered, but that they're also solving problems. And so there's a, a lot more involvement in the work of the engineers. Whereas for UX, there's more like negotiating with engineers or handing off to them or, or sometimes uh, cre- co-creating with them in a very productive way, but it's still not the same thing of, of sort of making sure that they, that, that things are on track that, 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 that mm-hmm. on some level or that it's all coming together in a big picture way. So I, there's definitely things that you need to learn, I think, to get more of a handle on that responsibility, that, that oversight responsibility of the technical constraints of the project and the technical debt and things like that. Um, more obviously, uh, the, the the business lobe, you know, the 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 part that, that, that which covers a whole host of things. I mean, it's often go, going to market stuff, but it's also financial stuff, and it can be also just data science and analytics. Sometimes get put in there too, because uh, it's just the wing and the businesses that do that, or who owns the BI or whatever who owns that stuff, um, as well as sometimes operational things and finance in general, and and uh, running of a company stuff and all kind all, like the whole rest of the company can sometimes be put under that category. As, as having as sales, you know, where does sales fit in here, for instance? And, uh, you know, not to stereotype, but a lot of UX people um, didn't, they, they accept that they work in a business world, but they don't view themselves as the business people. You know, they see, they see that as a different job. And, and there is a different culture in some ways. And there's certainly a lot of different lingo. Um, it takes more effort, I think, for a, for a person with a UX foundation or who's been living immersed in the UX world to decode business and to learn in what ways your business partners are also trying to make great software for customers that want to come back and that provides a lot of value. You know, it's just that there's some work to be done. And and going back to those superpowers, probably the one I would hit UX people over the head with when they feel annoyed about uh, a salesperson who's got a different style than them or having to talk to people who think much more in terms of the money than anything else, um, which is that we're supposed to be, we speaking as a UX person myself now are supposed to be the empathy people or the, you know, the compassion people. We kind of give ourselves that badge because we speak for the voice of the end user. We're, we've, yes. we're the, the only person in the room saying, what about this poor little user who we're trying to get their money? Why aren't we serving them better? Um, and yet I think sometimes we look overlook the adjacent people we work with because they're not an end user, but they're actually a user of our, of our co-working services. You know, they're, 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 we give them an experience when we try to, do UX with them or do product management with them or whoever, whoever we're working with. And when we feel annoyed or frustrated or think they're coming at us wrong, we don't ask ourselves in the same way we would with a customer, like maybe they're not wrong. Maybe in their world, they're right. And I need to work harder to understand what motivates them and what are they afraid of and and where can I become their ally and, and solve their problems rather than someone seen as just a new, a new obstacle in the way of their agenda. 
Okay, so let's move back a little bit. Um, you've got this community of people that you've been giving advice to that uh, helped you uh, give feedback on the book, and I'm assuming some of them, uh, at least some of them, have moved, made the move from UX into product. Yeah, we all give advice to each other, by the way. Yeah. There's people at a lot of different levels now, for sure. It's, it's a oh, it's fantastic, much community. Yeah. I'm curious. So when someone else joins the community now or is about to make the move for the first time, I'm guessing people, uh, sometimes someone will come in and say, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. And everyone else says, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all went through that. What, what's that thing? What's the thing that's, oh, the consistent biggest surprise that <laughs> didn't work the way they thought it would? <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it's interesting because I, I don't know whether we have so many people literally who sort of come in on that cusp we get a lot of people who are exploring it and a certain number of people who just want to understand it all better to do their jobs better. Certainly some people thinking about making the move and who do make the move. Um, I think that probably the, the common flavor is a, is a version of, of things don't work quite the way you thought they did, you know, and, and, and that, that's the kind of the largest heading and the, the specifics range from not realizing how much, their life would consist of meetings now um, when as a design manager, even though they'd had meetings and managed people, they still were doing what they viewed as like creative work or as a designer. Um, of course they were, you know, the, and, and then there's uh there's been sort of a theme of realizing that nobody is managing the engineers or that, you know, that, that there's a lack realizing the void in coordination that the product manager is on the hook for, but without the actual, you know the whole need, mm -hmm. the need to persuade without having necessarily like uh, authority or, or or ultimate authority, um, and, and not so much the generic idea. Like, I think everybody everybody knows that in general is true. They hear that going in, but then realizing just often how slippery it is. You know, starting to be held accountable for things that you realize you don't necessarily have a handle on how to how to improve them seems to be a common theme of new product managers coming into the role. And I don't know if that's just. I mean, that might be true for any new product manager. A person who's been doing UX, I think, has been seeing these things and think they understand how it works. And then once you get behind the wheel, you realize there's not as many, not as much equipment here as I thought. <laughs> so, Christian, you said people find out that the role is different than they thought, that they're in more meetings, that they don't necessarily have the control, that there's more things that they have to cover for that they didn't think. What about the, you said uh, also earlier that people sometimes think, oh, I'm going to be able to continue to do all the fun parts of my job, but get to all, now be in charge and make decisions. What's the thing that they actually find out that they're not able to do anymore that they really wanted to? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Both halves of that contain sort of a, a fallacy. And one is that you're going to keep getting to do UX now. I mean, and, and which means like if you liked being in um, drawing programs a lot, which is not the only thing you do in UX, obviously, but, but you know, if you like making diagrams or, or, or making screens, you're probably not going to make screens or wireframes anymore. Certainly only on a very tiny team, for instance. And if you do, most people won't appreciate it because um, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, I think, yeah, realizing that you're now design adjacent, that you might have, requests of the designer and you might be conversant with design, but you have to actually like bend over backwards to make it clear to yourself that you're not the designer. So you don't kind of step on the toes. If you're the product manager and you say, well, I was a UX person too, just recently, you know, so I'm going to kind of co UX lead with this with you. That's not what any UX person wants to hear. You know what I, I usually say, I'm I used to do UX. I'm retired from UX. You're the UX person. I have opinions like anybody. I'm a product manager. I have opinions. I'm going to 
push you if I disagree with you, but I'm not going to get in there with you and try to say, we're going to do the UX together. You're in charge of the UX. I might say, please solve this problem. I think we need to solve this problem, but now you're going to solve it. Um, and I think that realizing that you're going to let go of that is probably hard. The other thing, the other half is that you said, but, but now you get to make decisions. And of course, the truth is you don't necessarily really get to make decisions or you don't, Let's say you do get to make decisions. You have to make decisions. You're on the hook to make lots of decisions, really. Um, but there, a lot of them are tactical. Uh, the, the really major strategic decisions, I'd say more often you facilitate them. You ensure that they get made rigorously. You mm. follow through and track whether they were made correctly. You know, so you're very closely involved with decisions. But you're, you're not necessarily the, the, you know, you're not the CEO of the product, as people like to say. You're not the final word on stuff. Um, you do have to step in sometimes in a void and well, no one's deciding. So I'm deciding and people might tend to defer to you on some teams. So you can end up making a lot of the decisions, but I think a great product manager, like I said, ensures that, this is, that the right decision gets made and that the decision gets made right. Um, even on the last topic, I feel like we, we should say that we, you know, the surprise of becoming a product manager can sound like frustration and disappointment, but I'd say another common theme of people who've switched to product management is a sense of like exhilaration and being um, and and like having like I mean these complaints are are told with a with a smile because they're having so much fun being involved in everything and and seeing and everything and like I often say that a, a great product manager is sort of a nosy person who kind of wants to know all the gossip and what's going on. But I'm sorry, that, that wasn't really your question. <laughs> no, no, let's. But that was a really good answer, and we have been a bit negative. So, Christian, we've been. Focusing on all things, the negative surprises. What are the positives? What is what's awesome about making the move? I know I was starting to feel that a little bad about that too, as if it's almost like I'm trying to uh, keep people out. Oh, you wouldn't like product management? Go away. Um, and the truth is that um, <laughs> you know a common thing that I've noticed with people who've made the transition to product management, even when they're kind of grimacing about uh, frustration or overwork or or the obsession, is um is just a lot of enjoyment, like a, a lot of like, like sort of the, the sheer fun of being really deeply involved in what's going on. And even if you don't have the final say on everything, like being in being read into everything and being, you know, I, I like to say that a, a great product manager is someone who's kind of nosy and want, wants to know all the gossip, the, the official story and what's really happening and, and who knows who can get something unstuck and what's really going on with those people. And um, and, 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 you know, that desire to be in the room when the decisions are made, if you ever had a job and people went into the conference room and then they came out later with a plan and you're like, I want to be in the room when those conversations are happening, product management does get you in that room. And, and I think, uh, for some people it's like, it could really be a joyful, uh, job. That, yeah, that literally describes very well how I feel about it. <laughs> Um, it is a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Um, so for those UX people who manage to make the move into product, do you think that that's a, a one way move? Is that uh, once you get into product, you're, you know, that that's where you then will end up staying for, for one reason or another? Or do you think it's uh, it's easy to kind of s switch between both UX and product? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I don't have a lot of data on this. Um, and I have mentioned people who felt like they, they were slipping into product roles and managed to sort of back out of it before get, uh, making an unintentional career change. Um, but I will say from my own personal point of view that it's not that easy to go back. 
um, that making the switch at all is hard for some people to understand. It's not even that easy to make the switch 100%. In other words, there's still some product roles that aren't looking for a UX type of product person who will see you as not a perfect fit for for the kind of technical or otherwise businessy product manager that they're looking for. And to anytime someone switches jobs like or career tracks like this, uh, I don't know if you've got D and D players in your audience, but there's certain character types where you have to cross train, you know, both as a fighter and a religious leader. And, and it takes a lot longer to progress because you have to master two things. And you, there's a setback when you go study the other thing. Um, and I think there's a sort of a career equivalent to that in some ways. Um, what I found is that when I have occasionally uh, been recruited for a, a design leadership job, um, I think I now smell too producty for those people. Um, they, they've got product people, and they they want a designy design leader, and and so mm. I I think maybe that's not a two way door for me. Um, now maybe at a different stage in someone's career, uh, that might not be so. And I would say that I worked in startups for a long time in the early phase of my product leadership roles, where I had because it was a you know small lean environment i i i did wear both hats which is kind of crazy and difficult to manage i shouldn't say crazy but you know it's overwhelming in a lot of ways and not the right way to do it um but that did allow me to straddle the line for a while and and get my job as a designer still mm. and what's your kind of view of the product designer role is that something that sort of sits in design but enables you to to straddle that slightly or is it just basically a UX person, but with a different name? I think it can be, it's an opportunity, you know, um, sometimes lip service turns into something real semantics are vehicles um, calling something jobs to be done or calling it a product or whatever has an effect on how you do the work and and how you frame it. Mm -hmm. And so it is not, meaningless if someone said you used to be a UX designer and now you're a product designer. And if you say, what does that mean? And they say, oh, it's just the same thing. That's kind of dumb. But if they say, well, it's because there's something called product mindset and we're, we're now a product organization and you're going to be working with product managers and people are going to train you and you're, we want you to be aware, not just of like the experience, but really the entire productality of the thing, whatever that means. I mean, that, that could be a real difference. What I would say is often, I mean, the, the Facebook used the title for a long time to mean unicorn, you know, a designer who can also code front end stuff. And so product designer actually uh, means different things in different contexts. So if you, you have to look beyond what's on the label to understand what the specific job is really saying by that title. But I do mm -hmm. think in a utopian way, it's an opportunity. And I do, I, I, I have... Um, uh, another book I've been writing that, that that's uh, long from out because it's only half written, it's not revised, but it's sort of about product people in general and not just product managers, but how can your designers be product designers? How can your engineers be product engineers? Because we are, if we're all working on a product together, um, there, there are product, you know, there's a product point of view that, that, that can be shared. Just like being concerned about the user experience can be something everybody has at least thoughts and awareness of. I love that. Yeah, I, I often say like we're all product managers which is you know that's an exaggeration but uh, you know if everyone on the team has a product mindset then um it really really helps um especially in the small teams that i've worked in it yeah it's very very great and some people are already being product people without saying having the title or something which you know goes back mm. to the idea that they might be there might be nobody called a product manager, but you may discover one of your engineers or one of your designers is kind of is clearly a product person and is just intuitively doing that stuff for you. Give them a raise. So, 
Christian, this has been great. I think we've got time for one last question, and I'm going to go back to the negative side, because there was one thing you put in the book that that made me sad, and this is something that Lily and I have talked a lot about uh, privately, um, and maybe it's something we're both based in the UK, you're in California, maybe this is a, a, a more of a local thing, you know, but you mapped out a typical day of a product manager and it started, well, I think it started at 4.30 in the morning when you wake up and you jot down an idea and then you, at half uh, 6.30 you're uh, doing checking your metrics and then have, before you have breakfast and things like that. And that just made me sad. Is that really the way you see it, that it has to be done that way? Can you work uh, normal hours and have a normal life? Or is it something that you have to be that obsessed with to be, uh, to, to be successful? Yeah, this is a difficult question for me because I'm torn between what I, my ideals or my aspirational <laughs> way I want the world to be and my, my own personal lived experience. And what I'd say is that in the broad scheme of things, it can't be true that the only way to practice product management is through overwork or being a workaholic or not having boundaries or something like and having no work-life balance. Like That cannot be right. And on some level, I'm probably guilty of romanticizing or making a sort of a, you know, a macho thing about, about look how long I work and how obsessed I am uh, unintentionally, I hope. And, and uh, having said that, it did, that stereotype or that sense didn't come from anywhere. Even if my typical day was a little bit of like a worst case scenario or, a, or a exaggerated thing. Um, I did, I interviewed a lot of people and had even put out a survey form and had a lot of people submit their typical days. And a lot of them, started before breakfast and ended after dinner time. And some people didn't. They said, I don't work after five. Or there were people or whatever, you know, after closing time, I, I, that's for my family. Like there, there absolutely were different uh, approaches to that. Um, in the defense of that uh, uh, um, stream of work and, and the way I work, and I've been working on remote teams for a long time, um, there's often kind of like an ebb and flow. Um, my 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 work life boundaries are probably a little too porous, but um, they allow for me to run out to the store and do something, or um, somehow manage my life in the midst of everything else. So I might be smearing these things around a little bit because I'm able to. Um, I think a job. The truth is, a job where you have to work all the time, you know, before it starts and after it officially ends is one where it's understaffed or you're being inefficient. You might be in too many meetings or, or being, you know, continually doing work to prove that, that you give value as a product manager, but some of that work is maybe not really necessary. Thank you. I appreciate you giving that some uh, more clarity. And certainly I, my experience is, you know, I expect that occasionally I will work outside of hours. I think that's realistic. There's always crunch time on things. But at the same time, if I don't have the the release on the other side, if I don't make room for things, I'm not going to be very effective for very long anyway. Right. I think it's bad for the rest of the team too. If you if you set an ex- if you even unintentionally imply that people who aren't working all the time are less committed than you, mm. um, to the point where if I am on the Slack too late at night or something, I might schedule my reply so it pops in at 9 a.m. the next day and not just because I want to get it out of my outbox. Mm. It's interesting. I think it's a really interesting topic and one that we'll probably cover in full on the podcast at some point um, is the the working hours of a product manager. But I do, I think there's kind of two elements to this and there's the, the side, which is product managers, like you say, are innately 
generally enjoying their jobs and are curious people who are fascinated by what they're doing and loving right. it. So actually, when you get up in the morning and you want to check your metrics at six thirty to see what happened for the full yeah, the last I, full I day, I want to apologize for that. <laughs> I, I, I manage the COVID website for the state of California right now, and at seven oh five every morning, I look to see how many vaccines were administered yesterday. And at seven forty five, I look at the case rate and the death rate. And I and I think that that's you know that's fine and should be celebrated, and you should enjoy you know you should enjoy your work. Where it gets difficult is when there's an expectation that you have to work those hours in order to do your job well. Um, and I think that's the bit that for me is um, is the wrong message to be sending mm. to people. Um, I agree. So, the work is not structured yeah. correctly if it requires like people to be dysfunctional to do it or for people to be super yeah. heroic. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's a problem with the startup mythology and we're probably over time. I apologize for that. But, but the, yeah. this idea that, um, you know, Teams of superheroes, are, that's not sustainable. You can't scale that. You, you need some kind of process that an ordinary human can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, we're product managers, so we just are superheroes and slightly dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah, we might be making a virtue of some of our uh, foibles. <laughs> okay, before we push it too far, I'm just going to say, Christian, thank you very much. It was a really interesting book. It's a great topic. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for a great conversation. Great questions. Thanks, Christian. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and... Me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.